Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and I had a wonderful conversation with a man that probably needs no introduction, Max Lucado. One of the most recognized pastors in the church today, Max is senior minister at Oak Hills Church in San Antonio, Texas, where he has served on staff since 1988. He is a pastor at heart. In fact, Christianity Today called him America's pastor, and Reader's Digest named him the best preacher in America. Max has had the opportunity to speak into the lives of millions of people around the world through his writings, including his most recent book, Anxious for Nothing. He's one of the most popular authors in the world, having sold nearly 100 million copies of his books, which have been translated into more than 54 languages. Now, on this week's episode, Max and I discuss one of the most prevalent issues in our society today, anxiety. Max provides us with some great insight into how we as pastors can help those we are serving who feel overwhelmed with anxiety. Max also opens up about some of his own struggles with anxiety and provides hope to pastors and ministry leaders who might be wrestling with it as well. Friends, this is a very timely and helpful episode that I believe will both encourage and equip you. So let's go ahead and join in on my conversation with Max Lucado. Max, I just want to welcome you to the Church Leaders Podcast. It's such a joy to have you with us. Well, it's a great honor. I I really appreciate you including me in your program. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Now, Max, your latest book, Anxious for Nothing, focuses on an issue that's been really plaguing our society, right? I mean, I've heard phrases like Generation Xanax and the United States of Anxiety tossed about quite frequently. Can you share with us a bit about the current scope of anxiety here in America? And I've heard phrases like uh, uh, the land of stars and stripes has become the land of stress and strife. It's really amazing uh, when you look at the statistics, and there are books on the statistics. It's just amazing. First of all, how many there are, and then number two, how depressing there are. It, it's a difficult, difficult situation. I believe the one statistic that stunned me the most, uh, a particular psychologist by the name of Philip Zimbardo, uh, reached the conclusion that, uh, that uh, teenagers today uh, have the same level of anxiety that a a psychiatric patient had in the 1950s. Oh, my. And so our our kids are just wrapped tighter than Egyptian mummies. Uh, Helping people uh, disentangle this is, I think, one of the great privileges of the church. It really is, uh, because there are so many approaches to anxiety and dealing with anxiety uh, from a secular point of view that, that by comparison with a spiritual point of view, seems so ineffective. You know, that you, you pick up a magazine or, or even a book on, on dealing with anxiety and, and uh, the, the practical solutions are, are fascinating and I'm sure very helpful. But, you know, doing yoga doesn't begin to compare with connecting to the sovereign God of the universe. Uh, and so the, the book that, I, that, that I've worked on really tried to come at anxiety uh, from a spiritual standpoint, and helping uh, people who, who who are serious about dealing with it to find some practical tools as found in Scripture. That's excellent. Now, Max, as you were researching this book, why are people experiencing anxiety at such great levels today? 
Yeah, that's such a great question. And, you know, is there just one answer? I don't think so, but two or three really made the most sense to me. One is uh, we've never lived in an era that sees so much rapid change. Uh, One psychologist said that uh, the last 30 years have seen the equivalent of the last 300 years in terms of changes in technology and transportation and health, even in the globalization, uh, the world has shrunk. Uh, you know, things happen more quickly. So just the change, and, and nobody would, I think, argue that. I mean, just think of the things that have happened in our generation. Right. It's stunning. And then also, uh, I, I, I believe access to media causes us to be anxious people. You know, if my, uh, I don't know, if, Jason, if your great-grandfather uh, got word of, a, of an earthquake in, in India, by the time he heard about it, it was well uh, probably a week after the fact. If you hear about it, it's simultaneous, right? Right. It's on your phone. And, it's, it, it, and so we kind of go from tragedy to tragedy in our culture, uh, we, or, or, or crisis to crisis, or moment to moment. And, and a lot of that is, is due to the media. Add to that other, uh, to the media, the existence of talk radio and talk television, where problems are not only reported upon, they're amplified uh, for the sake of, 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 of expanding viewer audience. Uh, that, that's another factor. Uh, and you know, there, there's probably eight or ten that are often listed, but those two, I think, reach the top of everyone's list. Right. So as people are struggling with anxiety, I know that oftentimes we interchange the words fear and anxiety. But in your book, you state that fear and anxiety are cousins, but not twins. Can you help us better understand that difference? Yeah. I don't think they're exactly the same. I I think fear is uh, is the emotion that you feel if you see a rattlesnake in the yard. I think anxiety is the uh, dread that every time you step in the yard, you're going to see a rattlesnake. Ah, uh, it, yeah. It's a, it's a hovering sense of dread. It's an edginess. Fear is, uh, is you know, the, the emotion that you feel when somebody tells you that airplanes go down. Anxiety is the assumption that I'm never going to fly because an airplane has gone down somewhere. So fear is a healthy emotion. And anxiety can be a healthy emotion in the sense that it keeps you alert. Uh, what we're talking about in this in this book is the kind of fear that cripples us, that shortchanges us. And truly, uh, for the for the believer, it's the kind of fear that excuses God from the equation. Mm. Uh, it's the emotion that says uh, nobody can solve this. And though we wouldn't articulate it as such, we we could add the caveat: not even God can solve this. And so uh, I think fear is healthy. You know, fear keeps me from uh, stepping out, uh, crossing the street on on busy traffic. Uh, I think anxiety is is not as healthy uh, because it might cause me to never, ever cross the street. Right. No, that's that's well said. Oftentimes, as ministry leaders, and of course, Church Leaders Podcast, our audience is made up of pastors and, and church leaders from all over the place. Uh, but oftentimes as ministry leaders, we don't want to admit that we struggle with anxiety. You know, Paul writes, we are to be anxious for nothing. Jesus said, don't worry about your life. Uh, can you share with us 
some of the ways perhaps that you or others that you know in church leadership have struggled with anxiety? Uh, I'll, I'll be happy to. And and I've been a pastor of, a, of the same church since 1988. And, and so I, I get I get pastoral life. And then before that, I was a missionary in South America for five years and then served at another church. So uh, actually, I've been in ministry since full time since 1979. And so I get I get anxiety in ministry and I really get Philippians four because that's what this book is about. And it helped me to discover that when Paul said, uh, be anxious for nothing, uh, the, the, the tense there that he uses is don't let yourself be perpetually anxious. Uh, no one can, no one, not even Jesus, could lead a life that said there's no anxiety. I mean, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is a picture of a person dealing with, with a level of anxiety. But he didn't let the anxiety uh, cripple him, and nor did he let the anxiety uh, keep him from accomplishing what God had in store for him. So I think there's our model. We, we say, okay, what we're trying to avoid is not the presence of anxiety, because that's an impossibility but it's the perpetual anxiety that can dis, dis, uh, disempower us. And I have found that uh, struggle in my own life. Uh, I, I struggle, for example, with getting overcommitted. Uh, and uh, back in the late 80s and early 90s, uh, I was new in a church, uh, the church I'm still at today. I uh, was, was really getting some traction in my writing ministry. I took on a radio ministry. Uh, I took on a video project. And uh, next thing I knew, I discovered for the very first time in my life insomnia. And I uh, went to the doctor after having four or five sleepless nights. And, and he said, Max, this is all traced back to some anxiety in your life. Well, I was very uh, resistant to the thought, Jason. I said, I'm a preacher. I, <laughs> That's right. I don't get anxiety. I don't get anxiety. And he helped me uh, think that through and helped me realize that, number one, I was overcommitted. Uh, Number two, I wasn't on a schedule. I had no balance in my life. Uh, Number three, I had suppressed anxiety. I was one of these guys who looked pretty cool on the outside, but I had anxiety on the inside. Uh, And and, and so that, that happens to ministers. And so I think it's very important for us to learn to recognize our own triggers what we tend to do, uh, we we got to learn how to deal with the lies of the devil. In that case, the devil told me that I'd be more effective if I was busier mm-hmm. uh, rather than than trusting the Lord to to bless what I was doing. And and so I had let my life get out of balance. Uh, and so yeah, yeah, I think ministry brings its own brand of anxiety, and the learning to recognize what part of ministry triggers anxiety in a per, in a pastor is really important. That's good. And you mentioned um, overextending yourself and and this idea of being busy. How would you encourage pastors to balance uh, the idea of working diligently for the kingdom and for, for God, um, you know, ministering to the people um, to whom God is, you know, entrusted, yeah. entrust yeah. them, and not overextending themselves? Well, uh, first of all, if somebody finds themselves like I found myself dealing with the manifestations of anxiety, uh, in my case, it was insomnia. Uh, Somebody else, it could be anger, you know, Uh, somebody else, it could be bitterness. Somebody else, it could be depression. Uh, Then there could be those who turn to alcohol or 
or some type of addictive behavior, uh, to those people, I would say go to a professional as soon as possible. Uh, go talk to a counselor or to a physician uh, and, and find get some advice. Uh, it could be that, that medication is a part of, 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 your, of your treatment. For me, I needed uh, some sedatives to help me get back on a regular rhythm. And I keep sedatives in my uh, travel bag and, and in, my, uh, in my house uh, to this day because I, that's how the anxiety manifests itself to me is, is, is insomnia. So in most cases where, where you feel like you can't get a balance, just go get help for crying out loud. Go <laughs> get help. Hurry. Go get help. I tell that to the church, too, by the way. One of the times that I, as I present these messages on anxiety, I notice that, that when I always include a paragraph, Jason, in which I say uh, it could be that, that you're going to have to get some professional help or pharmaceutical treatment to get back on track. And I can just see people lift their heads as if they're saying, hearing me say, you mean that's okay? Right. Because many people are depending upon that, and that is okay. It's not an addict as long as it's not addictive. Uh, it's certainly a way to to get back on track. And then on a more practical basis uh, for ministers, expectations is the key word. Our churches have different expectations of us and expect too many uh, many things of us. And so the thing that I encourage pastors to do is. Clarify expectations with your congregation. Sit down with your leaders, with your elder board, however your church is organized, and ask. Uh, stand in front of a whiteboard and say, "Tell me everything you expect out of me." <laughs> this is a great exercise. <laughs> you get to, you know ten or twelve people in a room. They're the leaders, and say, and you say, "Tell me everything you expect of me." And you start writing it down, writing it down, writing it down, and it won't be five minutes, and that board is going to be full. And your elder board, your leadership board, is going to say, oh, my goodness. Okay, we get this. Right. Because there, there's 50 expectations we have of, of him or her. You know, write sermons, go to the hospital, uh, be a deep theological thinker, be funny. I mean, just it's crazy. <laughs> I don't know if there's any career that we put up with more expectations than we do uh, pastoral as best pastors. Then you go to that, then in that same meeting, you say, okay. Help me pick the four or five you want. Mm. And that is a wonderful exercise. And then so you circle the four or five that people land on. And then it could very well be, Jason, that the minister says, you know what? That's not my gift mix. I cannot do that. Right. No wonder I've been so stressed here. Or it could be that you say, you know, here are the five I think I can do. Let's, let's work out a, a comprehensive understanding of what works best. But I, I think we start with under identifying and defining expectations, and uh, that goes a long way toward creating a healthy pastor. No, I love that. That's that's great advice. Thank you, Max. And as you're saying that, um, you know, I was thinking so that that deals with some of the the pressures that are coming from outside um, as a pastor. You know, yes, those expectations. Yes, but what about this? Do you think that as pastors and ministers, we are often putting too much pressure on ourselves? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, one of the big points I try to make in the book, I don't know if I made it successfully or not, but, but, I, but, but we get to pick what we ponder. We get to choose what we think. We're the air traffic controller of our brain. And uh, so we get to select uh, the expectations we place on ourselves. And so one of the things we can do if we're feeling a lot of anxiety is back away from our own thought process 
and ask ourselves, now why? Why do I feel this? Why do I place this expectation on myself? Most people who go into ministry have a certain level of Messiah complex. We we want to we save the world. We mm. do. We really do. And it's, it's not bad. Uh, it, I mean, it is bad if we think we are the Messiah. <laughs> it's not bad to want to change the world right. or help the world or... Or, but 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 we come to an understanding. We come to a reality that uh, you know we just can't do it. We cannot do it. I remember when I moved to Brazil. I was I was I was so enthusiastic. I was 28 years old. My wife and I moved to Brazil, and we had this vision of building a thousand-member church from scratch. And I remember after about a year there, uh, a friend came to see me. And he said, how's that vision going? And I said, you know, if we could get 20, I think I'd be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, reality had set right. in on me. You know, and sometimes we just expect too much out of ourselves. Uh, so be careful. Don't listen to the devil. Your validity as a minister is never based on fruitfulness but faithfulness. Just trust the Lord to bless. You serve and, and, let, and let God do the work. Um, it's very, very important to stay in community, to not get isolated, and to guard against those self-imposed expectations uh, that can really take a toll on us. That is so good. And, and you mentioned um, fruitfulness versus faithfulness. Can you unpack that just a little bit? I, I love that thought. I can. I can. Uh, for me, it, it, you know, I've been a writer now for a long time. Uh, I think my first book came out in the mid-'80s. And uh, early in the mid-90s, I began sensing, um, what's a good word, a kind of an expectation from my publisher, and I love my publisher, but they were saying, okay, this next book, you know, it needs to be a, let's let's get a good one out there. Uh, You know, we need to really sell a lot of books. And so the language changed from uh, books that minister to books that sell. And when that language changed, Jason, I began feeling pressure. I mean, serious pressure. And writing was no longer fun. Mm. And, uh, and so uh, what I learned through that process is other people can use language like that, but that language doesn't help me. For example, an- another thing, when somebody says, uh, I hope you, let's build a great church. Let's build a great church. Well, that language doesn't help me. I- I- it may help others, but it doesn't help me. Uh, what helps me is to use language that says, let's build a faithful church. Mm. Well, let's invite Jesus to do his work here. And so I, I, back on publishing, I went from trying to write books that sell. I came back full circle and said, no, I just want to write books that minister. And just that simple change in language, Jason, helped me. And, 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 I, and I told the publisher, I said, I, I'm not trying to hit a home run, but I'm just trying to get on base, yeah. trying to get on base. I'm just going to be faithful. And as a preacher, every Sunday, you know, as, as a guy who's preached now every Sunday for 30-something years, nearly 40 years, uh, I, I don't put pressure on myself to have the greatest sermon every Sunday. But I do put pressure on myself to be faithful, to show up, to study, prepared, prayed up, and go into the sermon uh, ready. And, and and I think that's a fair pressure. Now, whether that bears a lot of fruit or not, that's out of my, that's, that's not, that's out of my pay grade. Right. No, that's good. Thank you. That's that's very helpful. Love that. Now, as we're talking uh, with pastors and, and 
lots of pastors probably have people within their congregation who are struggling with issues with anxiety. And, you know, they have people perhaps that, you know, they know Jesus, they love Jesus, but they're really, really struggling. What are some specific practices that we can encourage people to, you know, to engage in that can help them with the anxiety that they're wrestling with? In, in this particular book uh, called Anxious for Nothing, I took that title right out of the Philippians 4 passage, Be Anxious for Nothing. But Paul begins that teaching on anxiety, not with the command to be anxious for nothing. He really begins it, I think, with the phrase, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And so I think that uh, to help Christians deal with anxiety, we either educate them or re-educate them on the great theme of providence or sovereignty. Understanding and trusting God's sovereignty, I think, is the key for Christians as we deal with anxiety. And, of course, the Bible is chock full of stories of people who learn to trust in the sovereignty of God. But to believe that there is a good God who oversees the affairs of mankind, that is huge. I mean, that is, that is pure gold when it comes to dealing with anxiety. Uh, each one of us have to face events that are unplanned in our lives. And, and just because they're unplanned doesn't mean they're not in God's plan. And to help people sort that out, to think that through, uh, I think when the Apostle Paul was saying, rejoice in the Lord, he was basically saying, rejoice in the Lord's sovereignty. Rejoice that there is a good God overseeing all the affairs of mankind, right down to the number of hairs on my head. So I, I, I would start right there, Jason. When I'm talking with the church or talking with Christians, uh, I would start with, do you believe that God is in charge? Do you believe that there is a good God overseeing the affairs of mankind. I mentioned in the book uh, that that I don't really know where to start with somebody who doesn't believe. I, I just don't. I mm. mean, you know, what do you do? Yeah. Uh, you, basically, you say, okay, go do yoga and deep breathing exercises. To me, that's kind of like battling a tornado with a toothpick. <laughs> but, if, but if you could, for the, for the believer, oh, they have such a, they have a Fort Knox, of, uh, of, two, of, of, of resources at their disposal. And the first of, the, of those is sovereignty. And then out of sovereignty comes uh, use, trusting God and, and going quickly to God in prayer, uh, believing that God will do the best thing with the situation, uh, learning to worship, learning to manage your thoughts and, not man- and, and, and let the devil have our thoughts. But, of course, but everything begins with the idea of sovereignty. That's good. Let, let me dig a little bit deeper on this, Max. Um, let's say that the person's wrestling with anxiety. You talk about God's providence, God's sovereignty, and you know they, they explain to you, well, it feels like nothing in my life ever seems to work out. You know, they've had heartbreak after heartbreak, struggle after struggle. You know, they say, you know, prayer. I, I believe prayer is important, but listen, Max, I pray and I pray, and it doesn't seem that God's hearing my prayers. Uh, my life is no less stressful. Um, where do, where do you go from there? Well, there's two or three things that, that I would do. First of all, I would press back kindly yet firmly on the idea that nothing good ever happens mm. uh, or that, or, or that uh, nothing seems to work out. 
because uh, that's an exaggeration, and quite honestly, it's a lie from the devil. Right. Nobody, no human being can say nothing ever works out. And so I, w- I would press back right there, and I'd say, let's, let's look at this whole theme of, of being grateful, being grateful, because that's part of Paul's instruction. He, he says, be anxious for nothing and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Mm. Let your requests be made known to God. So uh, let's talk about things. Tell me, tell me uh, four or five things that are working for you. And and if a person cannot do that, then I'm not sure they want to be helped. Right. Uh, but 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 I would challenge that mentality. I press back firmly yet uh, kindly and say, do things really not work out for you? I mean, look at you. You you, were, you had enough health to come into the office today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you had enough resources to get in a car and drive here. Are you really saying nothing good is going? So you gotta you gotta uh, you, you gotta stand against some people's uh, misconceptions because they'll never get better if they really believe that. If they if they never if they really believe nothing good is happening to them, then that is a lie from the devil, a self pity sense sense of self pity. And they're not going to get better until they learn to deal with that. So I'm, I, I think I would start right there and I'd say, Let, let's, let's talk about that for just a second and, and help you deal with that. And if you can just open the door of a little bit of gratitude in on that dark life, then you've done them a good thing. That, that's good. And, and so as you talk about gratitude, I know you write about gratitude a lot in this particular book um, and how gratitude is an important um, component when it comes to dealing with our anxiety. So are there some practical things, maybe some daily practices that you might encourage people when it comes to that idea of gratitude? Yeah, well, uh, and and it's so important because of this principle. Uh, Anxiety and gratitude cannot share the same heart. Mm. It's physically impossible. The heart will not take them both. Anxiety and gratitude cannot share the same heart. And I test this with people all the time. I say, uh, let's pause and, and just think of three or four things you're grateful for. I'm grateful to have a good sunshiny day. I'm grateful the weekend is coming up. I'm grateful to go home to a great wife. And as you begin to list those things for which you're grateful, you don't you realize that anxiety has packed its bag and gone out the door because anxiety can, will not share the heart with gratitude. And gratitude will not share the heart with anxiety. So the quickest way to deal with anxiety is to be grateful. And so uh, there, there's no magic potion here, Jason, or no secret uh, it's simply the idea of focusing more on what you do have than what you don't. Mm. Many times anxiety comes from a focus on what you don't have. It's an assumption that things are always going to be bad. So gratitude shifts our mindset and helps us focus on what we do have. And uh, that changes everything. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting as, as we talk through this issue of anxiety, and in your book you make this, this very clear, and you touched on it already, but really a lot of this is uh, comes back to mindset when it comes down Absolutely. to it, right? Because oftentimes Absolutely. we let so many other things fill our minds. You know, we, we're comparing ourselves to to other people or, or what we see of other people. And we know that, you know, yeah. with, with what we see uh, in the media or on social media of other people's lives, we, o- we only typically see, you know, the good glamorous yeah. things on social media. We don't see all the, the things they wrestle with, right? So yeah. um, we begin comparing yeah. ourselves and thinking, oh, if I only had their life. So a lot of this all really comes back to this idea of mindset. Is that, is that true when it comes you, to you? You pick what you ponder. <laughs> right, right, right. You get to you. You get to think about what you think about. You know, you're you're not the victim of your thoughts. And so, 
when a person is anxious, a very practical thing to do is to call a timeout and say, now, where did this anxiety come from? And begin tracing it back to its root cause. And most of the time, Jason, when you trace your anxiety back to its root cause, you're tracing it back to a lie, mm. to a lie of the devil. For example, I recently uh, took on some new roles at our church, even after being here 30 years. I took on some new roles, some new assignments. And uh, I had to battle some anxiety because I had fear that I wasn't going to be able to fulfill those roles. And what if I messed up? And so uh, there were there were occasions in which I had to stop and say, wait a second. I feel this flush of fear, this flush of anxiety, this flush of paralyzing anxiety. Uh, anxiety about what I'm doing. So where does that come from? So I back up and say, wait a second. Okay. Oh, I know where this came from. This came from an assumption that things are going to turn out bad. Well, that's not, that's not faith. That, that's not from God. That's from the devil. And so immediately, you know, if I was on my toes, on my spiritual toes, I could deal with that. I'd say, Lord, you know, that's again, this is the teaching of Paul that you know, be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God. So I say, God, I, I, right now, I need your help. I need your help. I need you right now. Please, I give you this fear. I surrender it to you. And Jason, I, I've done that driving. I've done that walking. I've done that running. I've done that in meetings silently. I've done it in meetings out loud. But I think you, you, the moment you sense that fear, you've got to grab a hold of it. And you've got to give it up to God and say, God, I'm giving you this fear that I rejoice in your ability. Rejoice in the Lord always. Okay, I rejoice in your sovereignty. I'm giving you this fear and I'm not taking it with me anymore. So take control of your thoughts. That's why in that same passage, the Apostle Paul gives us that list of, what is it, nine things to meditate on. Meditate on these things, whatever's true, whatever's noble. Then he goes on and gives us a list. And so be careful what you're thinking about. Uh, and because what you think about is what is going to create the, either the faith or the fear. Yeah, that, that's that's excellent. And uh, when we're being careful what we're thinking about, uh, that that naturally flows into being careful what we allow in to our lives. Yeah. Right. So if yeah. we're just sitting listening to, uh, you know, the news nonstop, you know, we, we're just, uh, you know, a news junkie almost. Um, it, mm-hmm. It's going to be kind of hard not to have some level of anxiety just by virtue of, of how the media works these days, right? Yeah, exactly. Because, um, you know, the, the best tool of, of the news media is to stir a level of anxiety. Right. Uh, I mean, just look at what they tell you right before they take a commercial break. <laughs> if you happen to, you know, they'll say, uh, coming up next, why what you drink could be harmful to your health. I mean, you know, it just, they pull you in right? and they sell, they sell anxiety. They sell anxiety because anxiety sells. And so you got to be careful. If uh, a friend of mine always says, if, if, if your um, main source of knowledge is just coming off of Fox and CNN, you're in trouble. Fox news and CNN, you're right. in trouble. Uh, and so, and, and for many people, they, they never allow themselves to leave that behind. Uh, one, one practical thing that I've started doing is uh, instead of going to bed at night listening to the news, I go to bed at night having listened uh, to an audio version of the Bible. Mm. 
And that I've, I'm, I know I'm a little embarrassed to say I'm 62 years old and just realize that it's probably not a good idea to watch the evening news at 1030 and then try to go to sleep. <laughs> uh, but I, I guess it just dawned on me about a year ago, this probably is not too good for me. And so I started listening to the audio version of the Bible, and that soothes, that settles my spirit down, and I'm able to sleep better. That, that's excellent. Now, is there anything that maybe we didn't cover that, you know, you have the ears of pastors and ministers all over the place right now that, that you would like to share with, with them, some advice or encouragement perhaps around uh, this issue of anxiety? Well, first of all, pastors and church leaders, I would say let God love you. Just let God love you. We get so busy and so hectic that we forget the love to which we were first called. And uh, and so it's important just to let God love you. You can never be more saved than you were the moment you were first saved. Uh, you're not better or worse. You're loved. And, and so just let God love you. It all begins right there. And uh, And then as you're looking for ways to minister to your church, help them deal with anxiety. Uh, walk them through the 23rd Psalm. Uh, spend time with Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, specifically Matthew 6 and the teaching on worry. Take Philippians 4 as your mantra. You know, it's a beautiful opportunity that the church has to be the voice for how to deal with anxiety in a spiritual fashion. Max, I just want to thank you so much for those words of encouragement um, and for being with us and, and speaking to our, our church leaders. And your book, Anxious for Nothing, Finding Calm in a Chaotic World, um, by Thomas Nelson. Absolutely phenomenal book. I encourage pastors to pick it up, church leaders, um, Christ followers, anyone. Um, not only is it, uh, I think, of great help to you personally, but also um, give you the opportunity, some tools when you're speaking into the lives of others, which is which is a gift that we, we, we have as ministers. So, Max, thank you so much for being with us today. We certainly appreciate you making the time. Thank you, Jason. And you have a great day. Thank you so much. God bless you, brother. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Every week, as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders podcast, and if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts, so they can benefit uh, from these interviews as well. And again, we thank you in advance. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.